shower. This new one you're tracking. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. On July 1st, the United States government just asked us to save the world. Prepare to fight like there's no tomorrow. You think we'll get a hazard pay out of this? You're already here. I was just sitting back and enjoying the ride. Bruce Willis, Liv Tyler, Ben Affleck. We never quit! A Jerry Bruckheimer production directed by Michael Bay. Rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, July 1st. Welcome back to the podcast, Old Millennials Remember Movies. I am your host, Angela Yoshiko, here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Tyler. I have space to mention. Oh my god. So we are going to talk about Armageddon from 1998 today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> as part of our Bruckheimer blockbuster summer. Summer of Brockheimer. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Anyways. This is an interesting one because I feel I have well, I have thoughts about this, but this is a big transition point for uh, producer Jerry Brockheimer, actually, into uh, like PG-13, mm-hmm. inching into franchise type uh, affair. This is kind of a, a, a mix between two worlds, if you will, with the Jerry Brockheimer uh, production. So anyway. So that's what we're talking about today. It's interesting. It is. <laughs> And before we talk about it, yeah, we're going to talk about what we've been watching recently. We've been watching some stuff, as always. So, what you been watching? Well, you and I, re- well, I, the day before it came out, I watched the old one, but you and I together watched The Suicide Squad. Oh, you watched the old one, too? I told you this. Ah, and yeah. you even said, like, oh, do I need to watch that one? I'm like, you really don't want to, and you shouldn't. That's right. Uh, I did. Because I remember seeing you're the theater. you're stupid and you're a glutton for punishment. Yeah, and I remember seeing in the theater, and when I was watching in the theater, uh, there was a point in the movie, and I don't do this, usually I can sit through anything, but even about an hour into that movie, I went out into the lobby of the theater and I like I walked around for about five minutes because I needed a break. Because <laughs> I just was not, not vibing on the movie at all, and it was really irritating me, and I just, uh, I knew I had to finish it up, I think I was with a friend, uh, but I just needed a break. Because <laughs> it's terrible. It really is a, an awful, awful movie. It's still an awful movie. Um, and yet they decided to make another one. Yeah, this is kind of a do-over. Like I told you, it's a, a sequel kind of in that there are some characters that return, but you really don't need to know anything about that. Um, you were Like at all. I mean, you were introduced to Harley, Harley Quinn in the Birds of Prey uh, movie, plus you know that whole yeah. deal. Uh, and then, you know, Viola Davis. All that stuff is, is the same setup. It's, it doesn't really matter that some of these characters kind of return. Even, like, the Rick Flagg character played by Joel Kinnaman is, uh, you know, I would say not exactly... While it is the same character, it's kind of not even portrayed the same way, which I appreciate. He's much better in this new one, I would say. So Yeah, there was no point where I was like, oh, what's happening? I'm confused. No, Who's no. that? And, so, totally watchable without watching the first one. And the hook is here is that this is uh, James Gunn, who had, you know, done two Guardians movies, uh, you know, has a history in kind of these B-movie type things, uh, tropes, I guess. Um, you know, he was briefly fired from Disney doing Guardians 3. What was he fired for? Old tweets, but they've rehired him. It's not oh, gotcha. a thing anymore. But, um, yeah, he... they. He took a meeting at DC in between all this and said, do whatever, what do you want to do? And he wanted to do Suicide Squad. And so he, I think they basically called him, do, do whatever you want. Maybe please use Harley Quinn. And then mm-hmm. he did. So yeah, it's definitely a James Gunn movie. So if you like his sensibilities, uh, then it's definitely that. If you like those Guardians movies, it's, it is that with more like violence and foul language. 
garbage and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's rated R. It's definitely rated R. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good. I would say that it is... Um, the tra- I felt like the trailer was kind of a bummer in terms of what was like shown in the movie and the vibe a little bit. Um, I don't, because I didn't watch the trailer. I but... wish I had not seen it, honestly. Uh, which is too bad, because the trailer was like, oh yeah, this will actually be... I mean, the trailer is is a good trailer in that you know, like, oh, they made a good Suicide Squad movie. You could tell they did. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, oh, they kind of, just kind of showed a lot of the, the surprises and stuff like that. And you can kind of piece the movie together a little bit based on that trailer. Which is kind of a bummer, given that there are things early that are meant to be surprises, and they are not, because if you've seen the trailer. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I think it's a lot of really good character work, actually. I, I love uh, this Harley Quinn. I think Margot Robbie just continues to crush it in this role. Agreed. It's, it's a little odd that she's... I got the sense that, like, maybe she wasn't available on the same dates as some of the other people, because she's got a whole subplot that's, like, away from the rest of the group for a while. I liked that, though. I, I mean, I like it. I just it, I just got the sense that, like, it was either, like, they, they, she just wasn't available. On, they had to film it separately or something like that, because she's not, like, part of the squad for a while. I liked that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't need the squad the whole time and all the... Well, and I would say that, yeah, the movie's a little thin in plot, so I guess mm-hmm. it was fine that there was a second second plot but she's great um idris elba is a really good kind of straight man he's basically playing the same character will smith played they just it is technically a different character but he's got like a daughter and he's a sharpshooter it's it's comically the same got all the same but even and then i think about that as even john cena's character is basically the same he's a sharpshooter yep uh he's a little bit of a uh He's like a douchey Captain America, describe him as. Um, it was great to see him so good in this. Yes, compared, after Fast 9. He's such a dullard in that movie, or I don't think it's his fault, but it's just such a stiff performance, and in this, he's just alive, and it, I mean, he's genuinely a highlight of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even like, uh, you know, King Shark, by, voiced by Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, and the Polka Dot Man. Okay, the Sylvester Stallone was a little distracting. I was like, <laughs> that's rocky. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it, yeah. So, I don't know if I loved that. I like a big giant shark in a movie, so I'm okay with that. If you get a shark in a movie, I'm happy, for the most part. Yeah. So. But it was rocky, and it was distracting. Yeah, but, you know, it's a fun movie. Um, Yeah, I liked it. Definitely better than the freaking original. Never watched that one. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, you shouldn't have to. Great. What else have we been watching? Uh, Let's see. Oh, we watched uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a Netflix movie. And the way that you're making a face is correct, <laughs> because you're like, well, did we watch that? And the answer is yes, but... It's a um, terrible title for this movie. This is kind of like... What okay. was this movie? Which one was this? It's the one where Karen Gillan from, like, you've seen her in the Jumanji movies. Um, she's like an assassin, and then she gets like she gets a kid in her sights, oh, and she yeah. helps the kid. This and... movie could have been cooler. Well, or better? I don't know. It, it was it, trying to be too cool. It's vibing on John Wick World. Definitely. Like, female John Wick, which I'm, like, that's fine. Like, that's not a terrible thing to do, right? I just kind of feel like, this is a lot, you know, every every year Netflix, I keep saying Netflix, like, it's a different thing. Netflix? Uh, Netflix has, like, they get the prestige movies at the end of the year, they, they try to win Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, for the most part, have been really good. They also have a lot of movies that come out that are just like this, which are just like, they're barely trying to be anything. And this just feels like it was barely trying to be anything. It just feels lazy, even though it's, like, hyper-stylized and it looks like it's almost too... It's trying to be too clever. But it, I don't know. It just... None of it ever really works. It's not put... 
it's like checking the boxes, but not put like, but not putting a very good story. It's the magic's not there. Well, it wants to be super stylish, and then it just like lays an egg when it comes to like shooting action. Like, Isn't Viola Davis in this? Not Viola Davis. I mean, uh, Angela Bassett. Name? Angela Bassett. Okay. Yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Michelle Yeoh. Wasted. I mean, most of these people are just wasted in the movie. And Paul I like Giamatti's the main girl. I Karen like Gillen, her. Yeah, it's just it's not a movie. It's barely. It's just an idea that someone they just like they gave fifteen million dollars for. And they said, here, yeah, there you go. And then they made, like, a functional movie that, like, is, I guess, watchable, but not great. Yeah. And that's a lot of these movies on Netflix, yeah. I feel like. I just watch a lot of this, and it's just I like... I definitely forgot it all. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great, not a great movie, so. I guess there's another one on Amazon Prime that's called Jolt, with, like, Kate Beckinsale. And I swear to God, it, it sounds like it's, it's the, the same, same movie. movie. <laughs> I watched it, but... It wouldn't surprise me if they were very similar. Weird. Yeah, not not a fan of gunpowder milkshake. I mean, and it was very much Wick in the fact that there was even, like, this diner where no one could have guns, and it was supposed to be a neutral ground. It was a little too... I mean, yeah. it was Not to say that that's not a theme that we've seen in other movies. No, but just having it so soon after John Wick is just like, yes, okay, apparently you're doing a John Wick thing. But, like, not as good. Is it... Yeah. yeah. Drinking a beverage... Sorry. Was um, it beverage time? Okay. I tea. also, um, I don't know if you briefly want to talk about this because it's the last thing that we watched together. I did turn on a little film called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar for you. Yeah, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Is last night you said, hey, you want to watch this? And I could tell you wanted to watch it. Yeah, and I said, and I said, let's wait until whatever day when I can have a glass of wine with this movie. Yeah, and like, I could tell you were like, oh, so we put it on. I needed to loosen up a little bit. That's never going to be a Dave. Not like you're going to have a glass of wine. You're just like, that's a, that's you punting it off and you won't watch it. That That's a not true. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it probably is a little bit true, but I could tell this was a movie I wanted to feel a little bit sillier with. This might be a movie in that you, like you said at the end, you enjoyed me laughing at it. Uh, I think this might be like a MacGruber type of thing. Where I really love how bizarre it is, and you're just like, yeah, I can see why you like this, <laughs> but not really like. It's funny because you're it. like the movie snob, uh-huh. but you have this uh, ca- small category in your in your comedies that you enjoy that I don't enjoy, and it's not that I don't enjoy, but I don't enjoy it as much as you do. It's like that Pratt, just over the top. Goofy. It's going for something, and not a lot it of things going go for, for things. And I can appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I can appreciate that it wasn't like stupidly annoying comedy, but it's know. about something. It's about these two friends, and like yeah, yes, like it's insane and crazy, but it like it has such a good, it was charming, gooey center at the middle yeah. of it that it's impossible to just be like, well, this is stupid because I don't know, like it, it has such good intentions and. The humor in it is so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, we have these musical numbers all over the place. I, the, I mean, I knew that it doesn't matter what the rest of the movie does. Like, just the fact that the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey is mm-hmm. in this a, amazing musical number. At one point, he's climbing up a palm tree. That and was the, pretty fantastic. The way he's doing it is just... Very brilliant. comedic. I Very love funny. It. Part of my problem is Kristen <laughs> Wiig. I love Kristen. Wiig. I I like love her, and then about five percent of the time, I do not like her. She's so, not, she's. I think she's very good at this. She's, she's playing really two parts. talented. <laughs> Anyone who swings for it and swings big is gonna miss sometimes with somebody, and she misses with me. Sometimes. I like, and here's the thing: I also like. I like how she's got two parts in the movie. Her second part is a villain role, and it definitely on the surface looks like 
because the movie has like this Austin Powers feel mm-hmm. to it a little bit, mm-hmm. and it does kind of feel like it could be a Doctor Evil type thing. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like her restraint in that particular performance. Yeah, it's not like the visual is so over the top that like it's not necessary to go the rest of the way, and I like how it's not dialed up because Barb and Star are already dialed up. Yes. And the character, the villain character is already visually over the top. Yes. So I just, I like how there's like a little bit of like the throttle reversal on that. A little bit. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I could see that. This movie was memorable. I don't think I'll be forgetting it. No. Anytime soon. I think it's a movie that if you watched it again, you'd be like, yeah, that's pretty funny. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Even, I was laughing more the second time. Even now it. thinking back when you were mm-hmm. talking about the villain and some, I was flashing back to some of the books that she was reading oh. and then the Fifty Shades guy was reading and <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And what I what I love about there's the thing about Trish that yes. is kind of funny when you watch it the first time because there's this long sequence where they're on the plane where they are imagining this person mm-hmm. and it goes so far to the point where they walk through this whole woman's <laughs> life. And I don't know, because you know about what happens like later, like watching it the second time and listening to this description is just so funny. Mm -hmm. Like, because they were just sitting here and they're conjuring up this being and Mm -hmm. I, I'm all for it. I love the talking club. (laughs) Oh God, that's, I mean, okay. So yes, that's funny. It does feel like an SNL skit within the movie over and over and over. Yeah, but it's, but only, it's funny. It doesn't. It does. It only comes back for like five seconds. And see, it does. Time. It does what SNL fails to do, which is it keeps it short as it comes in. There's that woman that they they clearly don't want involved, so they just lock the door right. Oh, at it's nine oh two. She's a minute late. We gotta lock the door. I like it. Go home, Sheila. You're <laughs> late. <laughs> or whatever her name was. What? Barbara Star. Yeah, I would recommend that if you're into like Austin Powers. It's on Hulu there. now, uh, so you should watch it. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. All right, I watched some other stuff without you. As per usual. Mm-hmm. My favorite, and is easily one of the best movies of the year, is Pig. This is Nicolas Cage in a... I, these reviews bother me, because a lot of the reviews, it's got stellar reviews. Huge word of mouth, right? And it's just like, oh, man, Nicolas Cage, he's returned to form, he's trying, and I would... listen. I think he's always trying. I think he's always trying in even garbagey movies that are direct-to-video. I think he's always interesting. He's always going for something in a performance. And maybe it's not your thing, or maybe the movie around him is bad, but he's always giving it his cage touch. Mm-hmm. So this is a movie that is actually giving it his cage touch, and it's a really good movie. Um, I would say that the less you know about it, the better it is. Would I like it? Yes. I think this is a movie that... This is a this is a movie that a lot of people would like. Like this has got cross. If you don't have to be like a cage guy to appreciate this one, because I think it's very good and it has this wily unpredictability to it, which is I I think you could you think it's going to go one way about five different times and it goes a different way mm-hmm. and it always goes a better way. Okay, and you're I, talking in vagaries, my friend. I don't I don't want to I don't want to talk about it too much because I think it's it's worth watching. Is it about is it a black and white movie following a farm animal that's a pig? No. He's Why a, is it called Pig? Nicholas Cage is a sh- former chef, a Portland chef who has now become like an off the grid truffle hunter, and oh. he has a pig who's a good forager for yeah 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 truffles. Well, something happens and his pig goes missing, and he's got to find the pig. And I think the best way to describe the setup is uh, it's John Wick, only with a pig. But 
It's not that it it wants you to it wants you to think that, and mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. I think it want there's a point where you think it's going to go a certain way, and then it veers very far off that path, and that's what I love about it. I think Cage is really giving one of these. It's a it's not it's a very subtle performance. Mm-hmm. It's haunting. He's he's incredible in it. I think it's one of his best performances. Is the pig dead? No, not when. No, he's, they, someone. They, someone takes the pig. Does the pig survive the movie? I don't. I'm not going to say anything about what happens after the pig gets taken. Where can I watch this movie called Pig? It's on VOD. You can rent it for like uh, five bucks. Five bucks. How did so. you? Did you rent it? Well, yeah, it was weeks ago when it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I have to wait till it comes out for free because we can't double pay for I, it. I would watch it. Again. Not for money. I would watch it. Again. Mm. I'd watch it again. Anyway. It's really good. Um, the other co-star in it is Alex Wolf, who is in Hereditary. He's like the kid, the boy, the guy. Oh, mm-hmm. And he's in like those Jumanji movies too, uh, as the the guy that gets turned into the rock or whatever. Like he's the teenager. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, he's like the second lead. He's very good. I just, yeah, it's great. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites of the year. Great. Say. Glad you watched it without me, and you paid money for it. I did it like Way a few go. weeks ago. Yeah. Couple weeks ago. So then you were on a Nick Cage. Uh... Oh yeah, and the, well, the reason I say that is that I did watch on Amazon Prime just recently after watching Pig. I watched Leaving Las Vegas, a movie that he won his Oscar for. That I've seen, but I must have seen right at the. You know, we've been talking about uh, previous episodes, Con Air, The Rock, as a teenager, like discovering the love of the cage mm-hmm. at that point, being that acting star, and that has to have been when I watched Leaving Las Vegas the only time. So. 20 plus, you know, 20 plus years. 25 years. How old am I? I don't know. <laughs> You're 37? It was a while ago. You were born in 84? Yeah, I was like 12, maybe 13, 14 when I saw uh, Leaving Las Vegas. That doesn't seem appropriate. Which is a harsh movie to watch when you are like 13, 14, 15 Where years Where were your old. parents? <laughs> calling CPS on this situation. <laughs> anyway, it's a really rough movie because it's a, a movie about like, you know, Nicolas Cage is a He's a huge alcoholic, and he basically just goes to Vegas to, to trick himself to death. Like, that's his point. Yeah, that's not appropriate for a pre... And he befriends a hooker with a heart of gold. Uh, Always. But sh- uh, that's Elizabeth Shue, and it, it, she's so good in the movie. God, she's maybe even arguably better than Cage. Because it's like the hooker with the heart of gold, but it's just a really well-realized character. And it's a sad little bummer of a movie, but man, it's got two really incredible performances. And I'm glad I rewatched it, because I didn't remember much about it other than, like, so and I would say that it has like this uh, spiritual connection to Pig in a couple of ways. Oh, interesting. In terms of like the performance by Nicolas Cage. So, yeah. Was Elizabeth Shue in a Parks and Rec uh, uh, community uh, episodes? I don't, I don't know. What? Thinking about Paget Brewster? Who you talk? Who you, when, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue was like from the Karate Kid way back in the day. She came back to do more Cobra Kai, I guess. But she's been in movies. I don't know. She doesn't do well, a lot. Well, she was in Community she's for a little bit. She's in a ton of TV shows. No. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. What show was was she in? I she was know. on a like a CSI show for a while. I know that. I don't know which CSI or if it was even the main CSI. But I feel like it was her and Ted Danson for a little while on CSI. It's hard to remember. I don't Is it just that. because everyone on Community said that What's-Her-Name looks like Elizabeth Shue? Was that a thing? Gillian Jacobs? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could say that Gillian Jacobs like, looks like... 95 era Elizabeth Shue. Sure. I gotta look this up. We watched... Anyway, you keep talking about what you're talking about. I'll find this out. This anyway, I think Las Vegas is good. The other movie I watched, uh, which was called Zola, and Zola is the movie about 
this it's based off of a tweet story like what's what is the, what are those called someone who just made like a a long series of tweets okay. so it's kind of this oh, true yeah, story oh yeah 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 we and were talking about this it's this woman who is like a like a part-time stripper she meets this leather lady she offers her to go on this trip down to like somewhere to do more stripping and like just insane shit happens right and it has and that sounds like i don't know that setup sounds kind of obnoxious mm-hmm and it's not, which is good. I think the performances are really good. I forget the lead actress's name. It's Riley Keough is the, the girl that comes into her life, and she's really good, too. Um, and it has a lot of style. I like the I, the direction of it. It's a, a new director. I like the performances. It's still a movie about, like, I don't know. Like It, it didn't have as much meat on it as I had hoped it would, considering yeah. I heard a lot of raves about it. But, um it's good. I, I probably am cooler on it than a lot of people seem to be. But I, I liked it. I would still like recommend it. But um, just because of the kind of the, the direction and, and some of the performances. But but yeah, that was Zola, which is also rentable at this point. Rentable? I gotta pay money for it? Yeah, you do. Sorry. Uh, what do you... What, what, do you, what world do you live in? Everything should be you free. You spent $30 on Jungle Cruise. I think you could probably handle a $5 rental or whatever, right? I spent how much on Jungle Cruise? You know how much you spent on Jungle Cruise. Mm. You know how much you spent on I do on not Jungle love Cruise. that. Well, what are you doing looking up now? Elizabeth Shoe. Still on this Elizabeth Shoe thing? What else did I put on the list for you? Is that it? I think that's probably all. I yeah, those are about. the big things that you put on the list. Okay. Oh, Val. Oh, Val. Yeah, that was the Val Kilmer doc. Oh, I put it. I watched a couple documentaries. That's right. Val mm-hmm. Kilmer is the Amazon Prime document. I think people, you got sick and he had cancer, but I don't know if a lot of people realize that his vocal cords are completely damaged. I think people realize that, but he talks in this, and you can you can see why it doesn't really work right now that much because he doesn't sound. It's it seems like it's a struggle uh, to talk, and he it's he sound doesn't sound like that anymore. That's interesting. Um, He's a he's a fascinating dude, mm-hmm. that Val Kilmer, and some of the insights are pretty good. It's definitely like a movie from his perspective, and knowing what he kind of hints about, like um, some turmoil on some sets of like the Island of Doctor Moreau, and like Batman Forever a little bit, you kind of want to hear like more, and you kind of want to hear like a little bit like another perspective maybe on it, and so it always leaves you wanting a little bit. But as kind of this story from his perspective, it's very sweet and uh, enjoyable, especially if you like that kind of. Um, you know, that period. He's a good actor, so it's kind of interesting to hear him talk about the movies and stuff like that. So, I enjoyed it. I wish it was a little bit more in-depth. But... Yeah, I think most old millennials love the Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He's he's very good in, in most things, so... What are your top three favorite Val Kilmer movies? <laughs> um, I mean, that's pretty cliche, probably. I, I like him in Tombstone quite a bit. I I personally like him as uh, Batman in Batman Forever. I kind of like that movie, but it's a silly movie. And then, um, gosh, there's oh, I, I kiss 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 Bang Bang is probably his best. Okay. Him, and, him and Robert Downey Jr. All right, that's probably my my favorite. And if uh, you had to Val. keep going, uh, you know, we 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 talked about Top Gun recently. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's doing anything much in that, but. I like that. Uh, he's in uh, Willow, which another episode movie ah, we talked yeah, about Willow. On, uh, on this show. He's really good in Heat, which is a great movie all around. He's kind of a supporting player in that with De Niro and Pacino and and all that. Um, what's the other one? There's a couple other ones I really like. Performance in the Saint, but not the movie itself. I loved the Saint. Did you? That might be a movie we do eventually. It's like I think I loved it. Did I love it? I don't know. I don't remember loving the movie, but 
liking him in it. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, that was the other movie I watched on each because I had just watched Val. Like, here comes I'm on HBO Max scrolling through stuff, and here's like Val Kilmer's face on this uh, movie called Mind Hunters uh, from director Rennie Harlan, Deep Blue Sea, and Cutthroat Islands. Rennie Harlan, and uh, <laughs> it's a movie with an LL Cool J as the star, and this was like, after Deep Blue Sea, and it's like this Agatha Christie type movie where these 10 FBI profilers are doing like a training op on this island mm-hmm. and then a real murderer is there and Val Kilmer is part of the cast. So is Christian Slater. And so right off the bat, I'm like, oh, pretty good cast, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm in for this. But if you watch it, if you watch it right from the beginning, it, it spells it out for you. Like it's like with Christian Slater and mm. Val Kilmer. I'm like, these guys aren't going to be in the movie. And sure enough, Val Kilmer is only there to basically set up the game mm. and is out of the movie pretty much. And so that was a little bit of a bummer. And then, that, then the movie itself is is actively terrible, so it's not worth watching. But anyway, Val Kilmer. <laughs> that sounds about right. Another one that he was in that I liked a lot uh, back in 99 was At First Sight. I remember At First Sight, him and Mira Sorvino, another actress who doesn't work as much. I wonder how much Weinstein had to do with some of these. Probably a fucking lot. These women who were great actresses that you just don't see in things. Uh, yeah, Mira Sorvino and Val Kilmer. I remember that movie. It's a very memorable movie. Well, yeah, he he gets somebody else's eyeballs and gets to see. And as someone who has eye issues, yeah, yeah I don't see, I was foreshadowing into my life. Yeah, that was kind give of... me some eyeballs. And then of course we already mentioned one of my favorite performances of his, which is he's the villain in MacGruber. He plays Kunt. MacGruber. <laughs> he plays Kunt, and he's not going to be back for the show, which I'm sad about. I mean, even if was he's... he in Jane Silent Bob reboot, he is. He he appears as blunt man. I don't think he speaks. Mm, it's kind of like that echo a... of Mark Hamill being in um, the first Jay and Silent Bob movie. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the other documentary I watched, since we're rolling this up, is that I watched on HBO the Woodstock documentary. It's Woodstock 99. So Woodstock 99, it's called like Peace, Love, and Rage. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, fascinating to me because I remember this was just when we were in high school and stuff like that. So we were familiar with the music, and this was like that new... This was a concert, essentially, that was really highlighting the, the rap metal, new metal, Limp Bizkit, Korn uh, era. But then they'd also mix in, like, Cheryl Crow and Alanis Morissette. It was very weird. And anyway, what's notable about Woodstock 99, as most people know, is that it, it kind of creamed into chaos at the, on the last day. And as it turns out, the documentary definitely shows there's a lot of sexual assault. Yeah, not and, good. And so it's it's a it's a movie that has a lot of different moving parts. I really liked how there's some organizers who are talking heads on there, mm-hmm. and they are like admitting there were problems, but really like pawning it off. Like at one point, one of the organizers is like, "Yeah, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit, he started a riot." And it's like, well, I mean, his band was really popular at the time with a song called "Break Stuff," mm-hmm. and he went out there and he sang "Break Stuff." I mean, I don't know. Is that inciting a riot? I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe not. Like, mm-hmm. I think there were some other things going on there. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a Limp Bizkit defender any, by any stretch, but, like, I don't know. That felt like a weird comment. But there was a few times that he would say that, and then they would have another talking head that would actively, like, just tear apart that guy's, uh, like, so it was kind of great. But that's a, you know, if you're into that type of, uh, if you're into that, like, if you're familiar with, like, Total Request Live and that MTV, like, kind of the last dying breath. Is Carson Daly in it? a little bit he he's not a talking head he they clearly like got him to like take to a phone interview because mm. he's got a few like comments Voice-overs. in it yeah but he didn't he didn't appear on camera the other one pete holmes who was a, a video 
Dave DJ, Holmes. Dave Holmes. Yeah, he was he was in the in the documentary, and so and I, I'll give him credit. The lead singer Corn is is interviewed, and you know like, the movie's kind of dogging on his fan base a little bit in terms of kind of like that rage, that teenage white rage that kind of was simmering yeah. at the time. And I give him credit for talking about it and and, and kind of just being like, yeah, you know. And Moby was in it. <laughs> Moby's in it. Yeah, Moby is. He was whining about something. I don't know. Jewel was in it. Yeah, Jewel's in it. Yeah, there's a few few uh, notable uh, celebrities that. Yeah, that's what's so weird is like it's just there was three female acts booked mm-hmm. and three on three day, one on each day. Cheryl Crow, Lannis Morissette, and Jewel, and everything else for the most. I mean, okay, Dave Matthews and like Counting Crows. So that's like more softer stuff. Chill. Mm-hmm. And but then it's mostly like Metallica, Corn. And so it was a weird combination of like what was popular, like minus the no boy bands and stuff like that, or Britney Spears. But, um, but yeah, just a weird programming. Like why would you'd have Jewel go out there, and then right after that you get like a Limp Bizkit concert? It just seems so weird. Like who who who's who is watching one and then the other? And you know people were moving back and forth. I don't know. Whatever. It's Interesting just, documentary yeah. though, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's, That's all I got. What we've been watching. I'm gonna pour some more drink here. Well, we fire up the main part of our show. You hear that simmer? Hear that bubble? Probably yeah, can't hear they it. They might not be hearing they it. They may not hear that. This is good radio. Is that what we're doing, radio? Yeah, it's radio. It's on the uh, 105. Oh, well, then, the... hold on. Hold on, then. <laughs> oh, my God. So we're watching uh, MasterChef? Yeah, MasterChef. And there's a, there's a contestant who's a radio uh, DJ host. <laughs> And you think you're hilarious, so every time he's on screen, you do your your radio bit, and it just is befuddling our 10-year-old. She's like, what I, are you doing? I just do it for her, mostly, because she doesn't know what I'm doing, because she doesn't listen to any kind of radio show unless there are a lot of sound effects. Oh, <laughs> because they don't do that. <laughs> no, not a lot of radio shows do, but... Um, since 19... Well, no, perhaps since, like, surprised. 2004. Have you ever listened, like, fired up a few... I don't want to, like dog on certain radio stations, um, but there no, are a few, like, no. not great I just listened shows. to one local radio Okay, well, there's, there's a few other not great uh, radio And they're all, boing, boing, and they're all, <laughs> yeah, here we fun. are. <laughs> a lot of fart noises going yeah. on and belches. Yeah, that's what I think radio It's like, is. man's, man's radio, let's be sexist. Well, is I mean, I, some of that? I do listen, I do watch, you know what, I, I do my favorite, like, YouTube stuff that you know I watch all these, yeah. this thing that they, he calls into these, some of these shows, and I mean, it's not that far off. <laughs> Tyler, yeah, let's do tea time with Tyler, and I would just like you to name some famous radio hosts. Famous like, radio hosts. Tea time with Tyler while I fill up my tea. Well, there's Howard Stern. Does Rudy Giuliani count? Oh yeah, <laughs> gotta get that AM radio in there. He's got a radio show. Uh, I don't know. I can only think of these conservative hosts like Newt Gingrich. Not Newt Gingrich. Oh, I'm already full. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Where? Who ooh, the- ooh, Delilah on uh, uh, yeah. and John Tesh. Oh, is he still John doing, Tesh. Is John Tesh still rocking it? I hope so. Uh, I don't. Know, I can only name like local people. I don't want to do that. So John Tesh and Delilah. You know, you get those when you listen to that channel. Ryan Christmas. Seacrest, I guess that one's on the, one of the stations. That's a syndicated well, there you go. thing. That's yeah. a guy. I don't know. I don't, we, I just, with the only radio I ever hear are the local people. I don't want to. And the show you watch where they call into the radio host. And the local <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to get into that, but we call Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> he doesn't so like it. Fun. He doesn't like the calls. <laughs> so fun. We get a lot of calls on this show, actually. We do. We have a phone number if you want to call, uh, I don't know the number. Were you just going to try to come up with a number? <laughs> 
I was going to go 555, because that's what you do. But Another thing that, like, our kids would be like, I don't get it. Yeah, they don't know what we're talking about. What's 555 mean? They'll figure it out. They watch more movies and stuff. They'll figure that out. Okay, so we are going to talk about Armageddon, where uh, we talk about movies that we watched growing up. And today's is Armageddon from 1998. We're going to talk about what we remember. Yeah. Then we're actually going to talk about what we actually remember. And then uh, some high stats. Wait, you just said that's very confusing. Because, you know, you got to talk about, like, what you remember about the movie. Oof. But then, like, what you remember about, like, watching the movie. Right. Got it. Then we'll do some high stats. Okay. And then we'll talk about, scene by scene, how glorious Armageddon is. How oh, okay. I sense some, I sense some uh, uh, tension on this podcast. What? You better not some be hating on it. I will turn this podcast right around. This is easily, like, if you're to think about a Michael Bay movie or a Jerry Brockheimer movie, like, Armageddon is, like, the The definition. Child. This is what you put in the in the Relentless, dictionary. loud, explosive, too awesome. long, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. occasionally obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. So pull it up, babe. Okay. Well, we do our segment of What Do You Remember, where we sit down and write what we remember before we rewatch it. So when was the last time you watched Armageddon-ish? It's probably been maybe close to 10 years. I don't think I've seen it since our oldest daughter's been alive. Which is Did weird. I watch it with you then? Because I don't feel like I've seen it. I don't know. It's weird because this, I mean, we'll talk about this. This was a movie that I've seen a lot. Like how? I really liked it when I was younger. So I had the, the DVD. Oh, you oh you still have it? Arm- I had a, no, I had a VH I had a VHS of this movie before no. there was DVD where we even had a DVD player. What? No. It came out in 98 and it was like 99, 2000 when the DVD player started rolling out. Okay. I'm pretty sure I got a tape of this. I remember, I do, I do remember mm-hmm. because uh, I had a widescreen tape of it and there's a little weird blip on the tape. No, what's going on with my memory? That would be like a full screen transition. There's mm-hmm. a part where, like, so a lot of tapes will start with the widescreen and it'll, like, blip over to that full screen pan and scan, but I would never buy those. If I had no. a choice, and Lomergan definitely had, they gave you a choice of buying, like, a, a widescreen version. I definitely would have bought the widescreen version of the tape, so... I don't know, there's a part at the beginning of the movie where something blips on the VHS, and that's what I remember. Isn't that weird? I've seen the movie so many times. That remember. is weird, Tyler. Yeah, anyway... What do you actually remember about the movie? Well, what I wrote down before we watched it this time was an asteroid the size of Texas is here to ruin Ben Affleck, ben Affleck and live Tyler's weird animal cracker fetish and destroy the world in like 18 days. I remember Armageddon vividly from 1998 and was enthralled by the narrative of dueling asteroids slash comet movies that summer that included Deep Impact. Oh, yeah. Uh, that one came up in May. This one came out in July. I was like 14, Michael Bay's target audience at the oh, time. Oh, for sure. I had both soundtracks. The one with the songs from Aerosmith, and then the actual like score. Nice. And I was annoyed by all the negative reviews because this was at a time when I was like paying attention to reviews because I was getting into movies like big time. But like for real, this movie is supremely silly, and it's baffling to try to see how long each individual shot in the movie lasts. If the camera isn't already moving, no last, no shot lasts longer than a second, or it feels that way anyway. Still, what a cast! And look out, Rockham has space dimension. So that's like a comment on the on the movie making, and that's something you remember. Yeah, yeah, because there was a. This is an interesting movie because there is a point in my life where I just I went from like loving this movie to just being like, well, that was a movie I loved when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
now I don't have a lot of interest in it. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's an interest. I have a, I have a, a, a long term relationship with this movie that is worth talking about. I remembered enough of this movie. Yeah, you heard a lot, and you were, you were, I mean, you were predicting some beats before they were coming up on the screen, too. Here's what I wrote. Mm -hmm. Asteroid of Impending Doom. Oil riggers Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and team will be quickly trained to be drillers in space. Ben has to leave Liv Tyler, Bruce Willis's daughter, but that song... Don't want to miss a thing. Things go wrong up there, in addition to Steve Buscemi losing his mind and riding a bomb like a bucking bull. Unpredictably, someone has to stay behind to detonate the bomb after the drilling Spoilers. goes deep enough. Enter the saddest, most moving, in-the-theater <laughs> moment I had experienced in cinema at the time. Yeah. The goodbye call between father and daughter. Oof. Bring on the tears. So wait, now I have a question about this. So you're saying that was the saddest movie. So did you see Titanic in the theater in 97? Several times. And th this is sadder, you think? So I think what this speaks to is that I have a lot of dad issues. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, like, the whole scene where she's, like, saying goodbye to her father clearly was just, like, touching on some unresolved, loving well, feelings. And they knew exactly when this movie was coming out. Because I was reading some of the background on this a little bit that you could parse through on, uh, like, the IMDb and stuff like that. And the thing about IMDb is that some of the information on there is dubious. Mm -hmm. Like, it's people submit it and you wonder a little bit. So, but it makes some sense because some of it is, is true. There was there's a lot of writer, writers cr uh, credited on this movie, including J.G. Abrams. Um, but there are even more writers on it that aren't credited. Like you have to produce a certain amount of something to get your name on it per like the, the, the so many pages or, the, or whatever the guild rules, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like there's already six guys listed here. Jesus. There's more. And there was one guy that came in and kind of like beefed up this Aflac Liv Tyler love story mm -hmm. and it like the way that they suggest it in the online is that like well because of the success of titanic but i'm wondering if that even lines up because like 97 is when titanic comes out that bleeds into 98 already like at this point the they movie's wrapped. in production yeah and it's a and it's a movie that is was has was rushed together like it, it's for, it's like 16 i mean it, it's an for what is in this movie like the the timetable they had is very short and so maybe but, like, to me, that it, that just feels like a dubious thing. But it, it does feel very convenient that Titanic is hitting, and then in this movie, a Jerry Brockheimer, big Michael Bay explosive movie, there are these, like, random inserted scenes with mm -hmm. Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck. Like, maybe almost like that, at least maybe the Animal Cracker scene, it felt like maybe an addition late. Yes, that felt like it could have been filmed later. Thinking back on that, yeah. and how you're asking me, like, so you were moved more by this than Titanic, I was... 13 when Titanic came out? Yeah. Like, I hadn't even had my first boyfriend. Uh -huh. So, like, connecting to, like, adult romance stories, like, sure, I'm a human, but, like, connecting to, like, a daughter losing her father, that's gonna be a little more, like, relatable to a 14-year-old. And I would say that, uh, at least from the moment I've known you since you were 18, you have always had the strong feeling about Titanic, <laughs> uh, yeah. in that you were just very angry at the end of the movie because you're like, Kate Winslet could have fit you onto that. She clearly board. didn't want him. <laughs> She just you keep, She you was know, like one night stand, man. Okay. I'll never let go, Jack. And I'll never let go, Jack. Now get the fuck off my board. Yeah, yeah. That's always <laughs> how you felt about it. So maybe you just were. That was your response to it. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I cried. I'm sure in Titanic, but not like Armageddon. Really? Okay, that's interesting. I feel like I remember seeing Armageddon. In Her a very... father dies, Tyler. Here's here's what's fascinating about Armageddon, <laughs> and this goes into uh, kind of the side story of 
my my movie going and my interest in film because I was very aware of this movie. I was very aware of Deep Impact. I was excited about both. I go see Deep Impact in May. I like it, but it's just like, well, that was a weird movie. It's very like melancholy and like Taylioni is just sad about everything. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't have that traditional like action-y type thing you would expect. I did not see Deep Impact in the theaters. You didn't? Okay. For comparison. And Deep Impact was a hit in May. This ended up making more money. But here's the weird thing. When it came out, and I remember this, I remember seeing, like, the local news reports about the box office. It opened on, like, a July 4th weekend. And it was not a huge... Like, it made, like, $36 million or whatever. It wasn't as big as they thought it was going to hit. And there was a lot of talk about, like, the Deep Impact hurt it. And the reviews were really bad. Mm-hmm. Like, they were across the board, fairly, fairly poor. And I remember seeing the Roger Ebert review after I saw the movie and being pissed off about it because I liked Armageddon. I was like, what is he talking about? I was so mad about it. I'd read his review and everything. And the funny thing is, and I know that we're not the only ones who responded to it then because the movie had legs. Like, it ended yeah. up, and this is a good point to, to kind of bring up high stats because it did. It ended up being very, very well, very successful. Yeah, it only had a budget of $140 million. It boxed $550 million. That's worldwide, yeah. But worldwide in 98, for 500 that's a large chunk. I feel like it hit 200 in the U.S. I can't tell because IMDb fucked up their website. You should go to Wikipedia. It. I had it on Wikipedia, and it, oh, that's where I read the number from, your little Wikipedia. The worldwide. Well, you gotta look at the... It says it right here. Go box to the actual, office. Go to the box office to go... You gotta scroll down to the oh other Oh my god, part. I do not like it when you try to teach me how to use the internet. Reception. Oh, I see there's a whole little yeah, section. Yeah, so I'm not trying to teach you how to use the internet, I'm trying you to teach are. you how to use Wikipedia. You're such a dick. <laughs> it ranked first at the box office with an opening weekend gross of thirty six million. Oh, man, I nailed that. Number. It grossed grossed two hundred and one million yeah. in the US and Canada and three fifty two worldwide for a total of five fifty three. I'll tell That's you what legs. this was a movie that I actually went to the theater with yeah. my mom and dad, who I've seen probably I don't know, one movie with in the theaters? And I will say this. We independently saw this movie. You remember crying. Yeah. Do you remember you went, who did you see it with? Your aunt? My parents. Oh, your parents. Literally, I've only seen one movie at the movie theater with them. Were they teary-eyed at all? Yeah, and they liked it afterwards. And I just Uh remember us having this conversation about how nice it was that there was this, like, story that was, like, a love story between a father and daughter that wasn't. All I, just romance. I saw this movie in the theater, like, opening day, if not opening weekend, with my parents as well. I am telling you, the whole theater was sobbing at the end of this movie. Yeah. Like, this was a hit with people. Yeah. Like, this worked. This movie worked. Never mind that it is just, like, there's, like, literally five minutes left, and you guys are fucking around with this goodbye. Oh, like, Jesus Christ, the whole world is going to explode. Can you, like, just maybe, like, I don't know, like, just assume a few things. You know what I mean? Like, let's get moving. Like, it's a pretty, like... Logically, it makes no sense, but, like, it played for people like crazy. Yes, it did. The theater was sobbing, man, I'm telling you. And I remember that. There's only two the- two movies I remember people crying actively like that. Mm-hmm. It's that, and then it's Marley, Marley and Me. me. I was going to say Marley and Me. <laughs> Which I don't think is necessarily like, a great movie either, but, man, people cry at the end of that Oh, movie. you can't sit in a theater that on Christmas fucking opening weekend and not ball. What a fucking gut punch of a movie to come You're out You're all, Merry Day. Christmas, dead dogs. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much what the whole movie is. And um, isn't it Owen Wilson? He's just like, wow, you're going to die. Wow. <laughs> Who's also in this movie, see? Yeah, he is in this movie. Yeah. Oh, the other... So then, yeah, this was like a big deal. I remember McDonald's had promotions with this movie. They gave away little mini posters, which I had put up in my room. I got the 
uh, musical score uh, of the Aerosmith songs and some of the other songs in the movie. And then I actually had to go to like a specialty, like to like the actual CD store, not like Target. Not to- Hastings? I don't think Hastings had it. I had to get like the score, which is like a not no normal people are buying that. It's the instrumentals in the movie. Mm-hmm. I got that. Uh, got the tape right away. Got the DVD right away. That was away. probably was back when you had to go into like you could go into like Barnes and Noble and put the headphones on and listen. We had a record store in town that let you do that. Yeah, I don't know if they had. I don't know if they. That's oh, you weren't fancy enough to have a Barnes and Noble in town. We didn't have a Barnes and Noble in town. Not we never. No. No, it took a long time. We ended up getting not even orders. over by the Costco. We ended up getting a Borders, uh, but then they went out of business. Barnes & Noble was in the next town over. I remember when we got that Barnes & Noble, and you could go in and put those headphones on and preview a disc. Oh, my God, the glory days. Now? Ew. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> ew. Why yeah. would you ever okay, fucking think that's a good idea? Well, no, I'll gross. Anything. Gross. Well, I mean, well, I don't go out in public. It's fine. Even pre-COVID, we're here. just talking headlights. Yeah, I don't go anywhere. I'm yeah. I haven't left the house in five years. So you bought the score. <laughs> oh, I got the score. I mean, I was just on board for this movie. I mean, let's let's we're continuing with the high stats here. We we've danced to kind of dance on the fact that it's it's yeah the budget. Was it was released July first. Yeah, so it was our wedding. Our wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's true. Nineteen ninety eight. That we was not married. when we got married, but that's when the movie came out. We get married uh, just six years later, eight years later. Can you do math? What yeah. year do we get married? Six. Six. Just eight years later. Just eight years later. Yep. Uh, this movie stars. Uh, I'm not. Even, don't. I. I got it. Let's do it from my brain. Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, mm-hmm. Liv Tyler, mm-hmm. Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. Will Patton. How uh, are you doing this in order? Oh, is that the order they got? I mean, he, yeah. Pretty good, right? Uh, Steve Buscemi, Michael Clark Duncan, Peter, uh, Peter Storm. I got it. Peter Stormer, Keith David. Uh, Owen Wilson, of course. He's uh, not listed in the starring of your beautiful Wikipedia page. Owen Wilson? Well, not on the sidebar. You know, he doesn't uh, doesn't make it on the Ooh, he is uh, over here. This was the period when Owen Wilson was dying in movies a lot. Uh, think Anaconda, think Armageddon, think The Haunting. This mm-hmm, was a big mm-hmm. streak of Owen Wilson getting killed about halfway through a movie. Let, let's talk about some of these character names. Yeah. So Bruce Willis is... Harry Stamper. How do you how do you know that? Because <laughs> I saw his movie a lot. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton is. Uh, that one is. Uh, uh, give this to Truman. His name is Truman. Wow. Dan Truman. <laughs> ben Affleck is. AJ. AJ. Frost. For, oh, AJ Frost. I knew that because I have. The, <laughs> we'll talk about the action <laughs> Just figure say I have. It. Just oh no! Talk about uh, it now. I went to a toy show about four years ago, uh-huh. and this guy had. Uh, well, he had like he had three Armageddon-related toys, which I didn't even know they had toys of, because it wasn't a period when I was like buying like high school. I was like, mm-hmm. pretending that I wasn't this huge nerd. Oh, you knew about the McDonald's toys though. They didn't have McDonald's toys until they had posters, and they just had to, they didn't uh-huh. have like anything else, they, and they just had commercials tied to it, right? There was no toys, which would be really weird. Like, what would the Why? toys be? Rocket, a rocket ship. Well, it's a PG thirteen movie, so it's like they are they tend not to do that. True. Like, meal things. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, people die. Star so. Wars, they'll do it with, but not much else. Or the Mar, sometimes Marvel stuff, I guess. But um, so you went to a toy store, <laughs> toy, toy show. show, and this guy had like the it was the rocket he had, and he had like the Bruce Willis Harry Stamper figure. And it's like a fairly detailed, like the equivalent of being like those Marvel. Uh, you know the, fa- the ones that people like to buy, like a lot of collectors buy. I, sure, there's okay. People know what I'm talking about. Uh, sure, they do. But they're like well detailed, and there was the Harry Stamper, and there was the AJ Frost. And I listen. I'm gonna come across an Armageddon uh, action figure. Where is it? 
it's somewhere over there. Um, MJ Frost, get out of here, Tyler. <laughs> I'm sure you showed it to me, and looks, I was like, oh, that's cool. It looks vaguely like, uh, <laughs> you know, Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. You know how much I love Ben Affleck. Uh, let's go uh, Benifer 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the guy had, like, it was marked at, like, $15, and I was just like, hey, like, come on. <laughs> like, this is not worth $15. You're like, it's sir, I will pay you... I think I gave him, like, eight. I halved it. I was like, I'm not going to give you a full price. Because, like, you know, like, and I, as I was, it was smart of me, because later I'd look on eBay and be like, yeah, I mean, it's worth money. dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not worth $15. And the guy's like, I don't know what he thought. Like, I was the only person that, enti- like, that's a three-day toy show, two-day toy show. I promise you. I was the only person that inquired the price of those Armageddon Are you telling figures. me there weren't a lot of old millennials at the toy show? I uh, just know. you? Just you representing? So what's the age group at a typical <laughs> toy show that you go to? It's, uh, it, you know, you, you get families, you get kids, um, but then there's a lot of older dudes. and uh, Define older dudes. Old, old, like older dudes. But they're like into, like, in the their, Hot Wheels. Like what age group? 50s. 60s. Yeah, there's some 50-year-olds listening to this that are like, fuck you, Tyler. Why? Not old dude. Well, they're older than us. That's all I'm saying. Older dudes. And there's people my age. You're almost 40. They are basically 10 years away from being an old dude. You gotta remember, like, there's a lot of, like, the collect the collecting's different. I mean, it's there's a lot of people our age and younger because it's, like, a thing. Like, there's, you know, there's Funkos all over the place. I mean, there's there's it, there's a lot, there's a wide spectrum. I mean, if you're asking if there's a lot of women there, the answer, of course, is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a lot of women. So if you're, if you're a single lady looking for a guy, the toy show is where you want to well, I mean, I don't know. Somewhat... I mean, be careful. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck? Some of them, I don't know. I would say that, uh, I mean, right, you think that technically some of these people would be my people, but I always walk in there thinking, like, I don't belong here. <laughs> you know, I look around here and I'm like, those have got to be your people. Yeah, they're not, though. You'd be surprised. I, I never go in with you. I just sit in the car and yeah, yeah. When I see these people come out, I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> no, mm-mm. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean that, like, they don't look weird so much. I don't know. I, it's oh, hard wow. to explain oh, you're without. in a hole. You're in a hole. in a hole. Better stop. All right, let's go on. What's uh, Liv Tyler's character's name? Uh, 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 something Stamper. Grace. Grace Stamper. Classic. Liv Tyler, I don't know. Will uh, Patton is... I don't know. I was calling Will pa- Patton. He's Chick. <laughs> chick. These guys all have stupid Charles names. Chick Chapel. <laughs> Garza. Charles Chick Chapel. And this starts a big run of Will Patton and uh, Brockheimer movies. I mean, he just shows up in Remember the Titans, Gone in 60 Seconds, he's mm-hmm. in a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi is... Rockhound. Why? Why is he called Rockhound? Because he's horny. They even have a line in the movie about that. It's like, we call him Rockhound, he's always horny. Ah, jeez. <laughs> that's a dumb thing we well, And listen, about. he's got several jokes where he's like, ah, oh, she told me she was 18! Ooh, yeah, that doesn't play well. <laughs> no. It's fucking problematic. <laughs> Owen Wilson. He plays a cowboy guy. Oscar. Oscar. Oh, because because one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Oscar's dead, and then Ben Affleck. <laughs> That's one of your favorite parts. Yeah. Well, not that he's wow. dead. Wow, he's dead. And uh, and and Ben Affleck, uh, he's like, oh, Oscar, and he goes, <laughs> like the way he starts crying is uh, is amazing. It's, it's uh, it definitely goes into the sad Affleck. I love Sad Well, you know how much Record I love my books. Sad Affleck, but uh, yeah, he, he loses it a little bit, and it's kind of a weird noise he gives out. So. Oscar's last name is Choice. No one knows that. Why? Why? That's a stupid last name. He doesn't know. The, we, there's so much to talk about. 
There's we watched the Criterion disc. Oh <laughs> Criterion God! You know what? I'm kind of mad at you about this, by the way. It was only like, I, I. It's only about two or two and a half extra minutes. But just share what? what? Well, I never. I only had like the bare bones DVD because that's the first one that came out. But I was always aware of the. <laughs> this one got to the Criterion Collection. I don't know how both The Rock and Armageddon got in the Criterion Collection. It's very bizarre. Uh, no one really understands this. I don't think there's any real answer to it, other than some kind of contractual thing. Or maybe Criterion was just like, man, we really, like, they were on, like, The Verge, maybe. Like, oh, shit, we're going to go out of business. We need, to, we need a couple movies here. Let's get some Michael Bay movies in here. But the thing about that is that they were always, you know, way more expensive than a regular DVD. But I remember watching all of that stuff and hearing the commentary, because my cousin Ben had it, and I visited him in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and so we, you know, we enjoyed it when he had that already, right? Mm-hmm. So I was always aware of that stuff and listened to it, but just had the regular DVD. What were we talking about? <laughs> you put this movie on, and there was extra fucking scenes. Yes, so we watched, the, and I, was there was no choice, we only had, we was an extended cut of the movie, and Why didn't they have a choice? Usually? Maybe there was on the, like, it played automatically. Sure, it did, Tyler. Um, so... <laughs> But this is the first time that I think I've seen this yeah, stuff. You were, you were, you were like, "That's new. That's new." I knew. That's I know. New. Every every moment, I knew that was new. And mostly, it is just it. It is oddly a couple of extra Owen Wilson scenes that are filling out his character a little bit. None of which is, are, is anything. It's not nothing great. It's not bad. It's just unnecessary, especially since you know he gets killed. Uh, and then there's this one really bizarre scene where Bruce Willis goes to see his dad, mm-hmm. uh, Liv Tyler's grandfather, mm-hmm. and it's a bad scene. And then, like, at the end, the the big dramatic discussion between the big them, goodbye. there's added dialogue that references that scene, and it is just horseshit dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think that it's already cheesy, like, you haven't heard anything yet, that's way worse. It's so bad. Yeah, it's really bad, and so they were very smart to cut it out, and so that's the stuff that's back in, and it's all of it. Is that was annoying. I can't believe you put that on. I didn't realize it was going to be that, so anyway. We didn't even get through the whole cast. Michael Clark Duncan, who was not even in the opening credits title uh, cast list because he was such an unknown at the time, but he has mm-hmm. a fairly large role here. And what's his character's name? Uh, uh, um... <laughs> I don't know. I always think of these guys as Jeotis Curling Bear. Oh, I call him Bear. Yeah, yeah. I call him Bear. I wrote that in my notes and stuff. And then, yeah, you got a smattering of people all over the place. You've got Jason Isaacs, a future Malfoy, who's one of the scientists uh, working with Billy Bob Thornton. The great Keith David is, like, the dickhead general. Who's, I mean, you know, he's just taking orders, but he's a dickhead, right? Mm-hmm. He's Keith David's great at playing that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Love Keith David. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare is a Russian who... I don't think I've ever seen up. him in anything before that. You hadn't seen Fargo at the time? Because him and Buscemi so. are together in that. Um, That's a hard R. I don't think... They're great, though. <laughs> when did you see Fargo? Oh, around this time. <laughs> Where were your parents? <laughs> They're like, meh, 13, 14. You want to know the thing about Fargo is? is that, like, I gotta look it up. It's R, 96. isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a wood chipper scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, no, the thing about uh, uh, Fargo and my parents is that, like, uh, you know, they want to watch Fargo. And they're like, hey, you want to watch Fargo? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 1996. Yeah. I probably, I didn't see it in the theater, but I watched it on video. Or oh, when you were 13? Yeah. That makes it so much better. It's really good. <laughs> It's one of the best movies ever. Oh, my God. If so you're we... a parent, and you are one. <laughs> if you, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> and you got a kid who likes movies, and the movie called Fargo, like, this movie Fargo comes out, and you're just like, this is a pretty good movie. I don't know. If, if I had a, a boy, 
who is maybe prone to anxiety and depression. I, I wasn't at that time. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure you weren't. I wasn't. I, first of all, I've never been prone to depression. That's your, your category. In your high school mean, years, you weren't in a depressed-like state? Anxiety-induced. Oh, I don't know why you just won't own it. Like, you're, like, did not... It's so rude. everybody does now. Like, oh, yeah, anxiety. And, like, some of us who, like, have to take pills for it are like, shut up. <laughs> anyway, no. As a hypothetical parent... <laughs> you're not going to let her... Although, this shit, I've let her four-year-old ask. I mean, Jesus. I mean, <clears throat> hypocrite. Is a wood chipper much different than, Oh, like... my God, yes. <laughs> I remember just, like, hearing about the wood chipper and it giving mm-hmm. me, like, nightmares. I mean, I'm still, like, it. terrified. Like, the other day I was driving on the on the freeway and I saw a wood chipper, like, truck. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. Well, you don't see, like, a lot. <laughs> it's mostly, like, the blood. Yeah, yeah, sometimes not seeing a lot yeah, it makes it scarier because you're filling in the holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really off track here. We haven't even gotten through, like, the gas list of this movie. But no, I was gonna say, like, there's other random, like, Eddie Griffin, the comedian, is very briefly here as, like, a guy on the the street in New York. Mm -hmm. Mr. Cooper from Hanging Mr. Cooper is, like, the cabbie at the beginning. Uh, uh, Charlton Heston does the the narration at the beginning of the movie. Weird, I didn't realize that. Um, You know, that's the thing I want to talk about. So, this movie, and this is where the shift comes, right? I think when you're 13, or whenever, however old we were, 14, Mm -hmm. your brain... You're soaking it all in, right? You're watching MTV, things that are fast, or you know, your your brain can handle it, right? Um, first of all, I wasn't watching MTV because so I didn't have cable. Every time you say this, it's so annoying. I was watching Wishbone on PBS. Well, Wishbone's very good. I wish I was watching more Wishbone. <laughs> it's a good show. I resent. I I I, I wish I had. That's I why I'm so that. cool. Yeah, Wishbone's better. <laughs> anyway, so like the assaultive nature of Armageddon is maybe more tolerable as a 13-year-old. But my God, even watching this beginning... Our parents liked it, though. Yeah, I I think I think it's because it has a really great cast, as we just outlined. It, it truly does, yeah. It knows how to inject humor into things. And so when you hit the humor beats, right? Because there's like nine writers. They were just like slapping jokes in and they're trying to make, see if things would work. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were able to kind of do that mixed in with good, pretty good performances with fairly thin material. Mm-hmm. Like that'll take you a long way, especially if you're giving them like bombast on the screen. But like, I don't know. And I remember even as a kid being like, that movie was intense. And if you go back and watch it now, I mean, holy shit. Like, even the beginning, once you get, like, this asteroid hitting the Earth with the Charlton Heston, uh, we get the title of the screen, Armageddon comes up, it's on fire, and then it literally fucking explodes. (laughs) And there's shit blowing at you with so much noise, there's Mm -hmm. shit throwing at you the whole time, Mm -hmm. and you're just like, holy shit, we're blowing up the titles now. Like, Mm -hmm. like, that's just the start. Like, we're going to blow up so many things in this movie. And then we get into this sequence where it's just, like, uh, the space station. Some people are just working on, like, the shuttle. And we get, like, this tiny little mini scene of they're, like, drilling something. And then, like, whoop, there comes some asteroids. And they're just blown to bits. And then it just moves into the next thing of, like, the the New York... Like, all couple people in New York City walking around, driving around. Ah, explosions everywhere. That's literally how every scene of this movie goes out. Like, something happens where we introduce something for, like, I don't know, a minute. And then everything starts blowing up. Yeah. It's intense. It was so intense that when we watched this again after like an hour, I was like, I gotta go to bed. I am tired. Like, I'm worn out. Even like when we get into like introducing the the Roughneck crew Mm -hmm. with Bruce Willis, this movie doesn't stop. It has to like 
figure out some kind of action scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, never mind. He started, he's hitting, like, har har, he's an oil guy, he's hitting golf balls at Greenpeace or whatever. And then, like, we have to have this relationship where he's, like, upset that AJ is sleeping with Liv Tyler, his daughter, so he goes and gets his shotgun, and they have an action scene, a chase sequence, where he's chasing Ben Affleck around with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of relentless already, and it's mm-hmm. just like, nothing's even happening in the movie, except we're introducing characters, and we've got a gun, and there's explosions, and then, like, something ha- something <sighs> goes wrong on the oil rig, and there's a bunch of oil splashing everywhere. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. And there's that. And then, 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 and then even when we get to them, like training, it's just relentless. Like they've got to fix this. We got to, we got to put them up in the fighter jets and fling them around a bunch. And then we got to do this and we got to do that. And it's just, I did love that part though. Much. I do tend to like the first half of this movie more than I like the second half because it is more character focused. You get more time. with kind of. But like, do I wish that some of those like training scenes could have like slowed down? Bit. Yes, and I mean, I guess in saying well, you that have out the right, loud, you can watch the right stuff. You can watch. There's other movies that do this. They're true, just, they're compacting it into this movie, right? and in that way, it does create that like sense of urgency. And there's scale, and, there, and, mm-hmm. and it's big. It's a big movie, but like I don't know, like the second half of this movie is so assaulted. Once you get like taking off into the shuttle, I mean, <laughs> this movie has. We're going to an asteroid where, like, there's already bad shit going on. Never mind that we have these little interjected action scenes where asteroids blow up New York City, mm-hmm. blow up uh, Shank. I don't know if that's where is that other in, parts in South the world. Pacific. Mm-hmm. And then there's like one later where, like, oh man, we haven't had a destruction scene in an hour. Better blow up Paris real quick. Yep. We'll just do that in five seconds and just show that. Like in between all of that, they're just like, okay, we got to get up to the ship. We got to go to the mission. Oh, but hold on, we're gonna we gotta stop at the space station. Hold and on, get gas. Hold on, we're gonna interject scenes of the meteor with this like ghosty, spooky <laughs> stuff floating around it every I don't know twelve minutes, and it growls. It goes. <laughs> it's a monster coming to the coming to the earth, right? Oh my god! I mean, and then the, there's just nothing. So like, it's already like this. Bim- it's so bombastic to launch the shuttles into the space. So then we stop at our, the space station mm-hmm. so that we could promptly, like, have a gas leak and blow the shit out of that, Yeah, too. blow up the space station. And we station. haven't even gotten to the asteroid, and that's, like, an hour of the movie still. Yep. And there's just been so much. But the space station does bring us the Russian. It does bring us Peter Stormare, who is, uh, is helpful to add the comedic value to the movie once uh, Owen Wilson bites it, once... Uh, Steve Buscemi starts, I don't know, some of that Buscemi space dimension stuff doesn't work for me as much as his horn dog shit, which is weird because the horn dog jokes are kind of problematic. Whatever he was writing that nuclear bomb, it's so it's so memorable. Which is just a reference to Dr. Strangelove. But um yeah, so I think it's worthy to note. I'm trying to be so so bizarre. Like, it's it's kind of crazy what they got to do to make this movie. Mm-hmm. Like they let them go shoot at NASA. They put Aflac and, and uh, some of the other actors and Bruce Willis into the suits, into the water tank. They shot where they launched the, the the ships, the shuttles. They had a real shuttle that they were prepping to launch two weeks later. That yep. They let them walk on the stuff to go. You've got this smalty-ass scene set where like there's shrapnel from like the Apollo 1 wreck where it's Bruce Willis and Liv Tyler. I mean, it's just like... And then I remember, like, I remember going to Houston... Uh, a couple years after this came out. And so, like, the control center doesn't look like this. Mm-hmm. It's much smaller, oddly. But, it, I mean, a lot of the other stuff is very cool, what they were able to recreate. And then, um, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. And then I remember going to 
it was either like a traveling show or it was like a Disneyland or something around that time again. They had the big like drilling trucks on the tour or something. Like they had all this. I mean, they built so much shit for this. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that went into this, and it's so big, and they got the participation from NASA, and it's just like you kind of, kind of like begrudgingly appreciate some of this. Like it's so big. Yeah. It's huge. It makes no sense. But... Yeah, but you know what? You feel like you get out of this money, you get your money's worth. But you get too much, I feel like. I mean, yes. Because I, And I do feel like the movie kind of crumbles apart with too much of this in the second half. I feel like I can kind of forgive... I mean, listen. <laughs> the setup of this is not... I mean, and, and what's great is, we, you know, you heard it the other night when we were kind of listening to some of this commentary track that's on the... I mean, Ben Affleck would rag Michael Bay on the set of this movie being like, why are we sending the oil drillers up to do this? Like, it's easier... You're telling me that it's easier to train them to do astronaut stuff so they can drill rather than training the astronauts how to drill, and he would just... Michael Bay would just tell them to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, because they're all well aware of this, but, like, that's what we're working with here, and it's mm-hmm. 18 days, and it feels like, well, why are we... But there's always a throwaway line to try to explain something. Yeah, I was like, why are they only getting like 12 hours to do this when they have 15 days? Because they can't get enough speed unless they ricochet around the moon. And the moon has to pull off some of the debris. (laughs) Right, but that doesn't matter because one of them crashes anyway. Right away, immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just so much. There's a lot of explosions that happen in space, and apparently that's not a thing that that happens. No oxygen, (laughs) no fire. So, I mean, a lot of this doesn't make any kind of logical sense. Um, but, I mean, you kind of have to appreciate the... the I, I, I like a lot of the setup stuff, and they're my... Um, <laughs> like I said, the, like when it has enough time... Like, Roger Ebert talks about this in his review, and it's very true. There's no shot in the movie that lasts longer than a second. Like, mm-hmm. literally. Unless it's a moving camera. Like, it's some kind of, like, dolling, which is already moving and giving you disorientation anyway. If there's no movement, the, each shot is less than a second. Ugh. And Those poor editors. Who were the editors well, on this? It's just it's so much. And it just feels... I mean, that's fine for a music video, but when you're watching two and a half hours... It's exhausting. It assaultive. Like, I feel assaulted watching You keep watching saying it. that. Because I do. I feel like I'm getting attacked when I watch it now, especially the second half. Um, now, I will say, I like Steve Buscemi in this a lot, um, despite him playing a guy who's clearly, like, uh, trying to date young women. Speaking of assaulting. Yeah, definitely some assaulting. Mm-hmm. There is my little favorite uh, mm-hmm. m- moment in the movie <laughs> is there's we'll, we'll talk about this, but like there's no women in this movie other than Liv Tyler who doesn't and get to some go. some no-name pilot. And then there's a pilot who's played by Jessica Steen and she is has a scene early where she's doing a training and she's yelling at not yelling at them, telling what to do and is it Owen Wilson who's talking to Bear, Michael Clark Dunn he's like, is it just me or is like is she, like, really hot? And Bear's like, yeah. And then it cuts over to Steve Buscemi, who just gives this amazing smiling <laughs> nod, which only Buscemi could do, and mm-hmm. I just love that little, like... Yeah. <laughs> little, and then they get chewed out by her, which, who cares? But um, I do love that. I, I just, there's enough... I like Affleck in here. I think he, he brings something to it. I think he actually holds his own with some pretty lousy material. I think the Animal Cracker scene is... Um, that's Very brutal. unfortunate. It's brutal looking watching back. Yeah, it's it's definitely in that Do you Titanic. Think someone else where in the world is doing this at the same time as us. 
Ugh, Liv Tyler. Ugh. And then, Liv, and then Ben Affleck says, well, yeah. Otherwise, what the hell are we trying to say? Uh, yeah, I don't want to close my eyes. See, that's why I could care less about the romance. It's shot at the magic hour with the sunset. I mean, it's got something here. Um, ooh, that and that brings me to... <laughs> it's so funny if you take it out of context. So Will Patton's character, whose name is Chick. Chick. Which, okay, sure it is. Uh-huh. What would you say his defining characteristic is in the movie, other than, like, just, like, he's he's there to be Bruce Willis's He's buddy. loyal. He's a loyal... Loyal buddy, right? Loyal AF. Well, he's got, like, a two-minute backstory where he goes and visits... <laughs> oh, yeah! His ex-wife, oh, yeah, estranged yeah. wife, whatever. It's Judith Hogue. Who is, I told you, it's this is, that's April O'Neil from Ninja Turtles 1. And you're like, no, it's not. It's because you told me that the lady on the 100 is no, April O'Neil. That is, that's, that's secretly So I was like, that April lady's O'Neil. not that that's lady. That's a different April O'Neil. So, so yeah. O'Neil. Anyway, it's just And then, like, there's he sees this kid, and he's like, the kid doesn't know it's him. But then, like, sh- like they keep cutting back to him. Where, okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let, let me set this in. He walks up the porch steps to a kid playing on his front porch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. He hands him a rocket. Yeah. And then the mom comes out and is like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> the court and the judge yeah. said, you're not so fucking you allowed doing? here. Uh, if you're not even allowed on their property, that says restraining order. That says, like, you did some fucked up shit to that then, woman or that child. Listen, he's on TV mm-hmm. with the asteroids coming. And then that's when she says, like, oh, you know who that man is? That's your daddy. And it's like, oh. And then she's there at the end because, like, I don't know. She's got to be like, she's well, like oh, he might be rich now. Oh, he's going to get some money. We're going to cash in. It's like, we will just maybe figure out a way to get some money. Then we could re- reinstate the restraining order because he's still a degenerate gambler. Oh, yeah. yeah he's, a, he's a gambler, too, I guess, because they saw him. The crack yeah, whatever. but that's not going to be why a judge orders you to not be able to see your son. Yeah, no. I yeah, don't. you fucked some shit up. No, see, yeah. So I, I awkward. Like why lot. is that in there? I don't know. Some of the other character stuff works, like when they're first getting their um, medicals and they're being. Oh, that's God. Udo there's Kier. so many scenes in this movie. <laughs> Udo, that's what I forgot. Udo Kier is there, and he's like the psychologist, and he's this weird, creepy, spiky room. Oh yeah, what the fuck? There's so much in this movie. <laughs> And then that's when Buscemi's like, okay, Cyclops. There's a lady with, like, this weird eye thing. And he's like, okay, Cyclops, lady, starting to freak me out. <laughs> that that scene kind of works. Some of the training stuff works pretty well. I like that. One of my favorite other bits of this movie is, like, during the <laughs> the gun sequence on the oil rig, Bruce Willis fires uh, Ben Affleck, and then he gets picked up immediately by, by NASA. So it's been, like, maybe, like, two days mm-hmm. so then they like he's got to track everybody down and the authorities track everybody down themselves but he goes and gets Ben Affleck because he needs like a guy to be in charge of the second he's got to be a team leader yeah right. so but here it is it's been two days and he's found Affleck and he's he started his own business mm-hmm. he's got oil rigs running equipment he's got a sign his, his name on it now does he already have this does he have like a side business that he's so. able to just like trying to make it on up? his own because he gets moving in two days pretty fast yeah I mean, those are details that Michael Bay don't give a fuck about. <laughs> he's like, someone put a fucking sign out there that says AJ Frost oil. So we know rigging. it's his business. Yeah, we just know he's a good driller, right? And I don't, as far as I know, and then Affleck brings this up. It's like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of like, it doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> you got a big machine and they're drilling and they get the pipes in, and it's an art form. You, gotta you know, re- you got to replace some transmissions. You're going to lose drill bits. There's going to be gas pockets. I feel like the astronaut's going to handle it. <laughs> I mean... Maybe bring bring Bruce Willis. 
I mean, I will say this. There are trades that are very complicated to learn, and there are nuances that only skill and, like, living with the equipment can makes I, you, like, really, really talented can at. Can I say what the majority of the complications on the asteroids are? Mm-hmm. Seems to be related to gravity and space shit. Yeah, mostly that. And they have to, like... And so, there's no, like... They don't fix anything. It's just like, well, we blew the transmission. Go grab one of the other ones we brought. Yeah. And they go, okay. Well, <laughs> they have to be able to know when to stop. Where to land. I know, because they were work- trying to hit, like, they didn't want to hit iron ferrite. Or they iron, did. Or iron fire, they call it sometimes. Which they overshot the landing, and then end up being into iron ferrite. They only get 57 feet when they're supposed to be 250 feet. That's what the sex off uh, secondary protocol. We'll get to it. Because this movie needs to have another action scene in which there's a nuclear bomb going, and they have to dismantle it. Yeah. Uh, while they're in the middle of an asteroid uh, trying to drill. That's a scene. <laughs> Here's what I can say. I do think that in this hypothetical situation, mm-hmm. you would want experienced drillers. So Bruce Willis goes. Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. Two guys. Actually, bring two on each team. Mm-hmm. They but would not the be the majority of the team. There would be no. two. One running the thing and one helping him. Because let's not forget, one of the members of the team gets space dimension and shoots off a machine gun. So he's there. not helping. Why are there machine guns here is what I want to know. I think it's because, I bet you, there's an explanation that Michael Bay probably told Ben Affleck of like, well, you know, there's some like loose debris going around. You might want to shoot it off. Or, or you, there's going to be a couple scenes in which you're going to have to blow a hole in something and need a need a machine gun, and uh, someone's got to get space dimension. And also be prepared for aliens. I mean... Plan C. We don't fucking know what's on that thing flying at us the size of Texas. So what's a Gatling gun going to do? That's not very mobile. Like, if, if, if the alien's coming at one location, I I'm guess you saying, can shut that up. I'm just saying, it's a little backup plan. <laughs> Why has he got a handgun with him? Well, he's got space dimension. Which I was uh, always under the impression that that was uh, something they made up. No, it turns out you can get space dimension. Makes sense. Like, when you deep dive, you can fuck yourself up. I don't know if they necessarily call it space dimension, but yeah, yeah. No, that's a thing that could happen. That's why you don't bring a bunch of kooky uh, crazies onto uh, an asteroid. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing I'll say that I like is there are two kind of... Some of the stuff looks is... Listen. I don't like most Michael Bay movies. I like The Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to like this movie. Um, they when after they uh, they reveal to the world that this is happening and they know that there's a mission going, and they do the space the, the right stuff walk where there's a crowd and they're walking with twelve astronauts or whatever. The music's really it's really like swelling and good. There's people listening on the radios. The president, who's an idiot, will find out later thanks to secondary protocol. Uh, is giving a speech, and it just works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very rousing, and mm-hmm. you're excited about the mission, right? Mm-hmm. It is this nice, like, it's still cut like crazy, but it does have a really nice, like, warm momentum to it. Yes, it's that whole, like, we all become one. Yeah. When we're all fighting the same and thing. And I will say there's another brief thing at the end of the movie, once it blows up, I don't like the little, like, we win Gracie, uh, flashy white shit that goes on with Bruce Willis' head, whatever, that's terrible, but then we get, like, the rejoicing scenes of people, and the little kids with, the, it's very jingoistic, with this, like, American flag or whatever, like... It's very what? Like, you know, just rah-rah America. So what would you say, Jingo, is, I'm not saying it right, Jingo. I don't know, I don't know this phrase. Yeah. Well, like, rah rah America. You've said it before. Yeah. Jingoistic? Yeah, jingo, yeah. I'm just not saying it right. You can call me off of being. No, it's just, you know, you always have better vocabulary than I do. Jingoistic is a real word characterized by extreme patriotism, yeah. especially in the form of aggressive or warlike foreign policy. Yeah, it, you know, I think a lot of it is like, uh, you know, 
very like military focused type America rah rah stuff, mm-hmm. right? And some of that can like rub. I think you remember we talked about this a little bit on Top Gun because Val Kilmer didn't want to do the movie because it was very jingoistic. And that mm-hmm. was why he kind of was reluctant to do it, right? He felt like it was too much like American aggression, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. This is it. it it's supposed to be like this worldwide moment. It still does seep into like being an American thing very much, but some of the imagery is really effective. And I, I just kind of like that, the tie in between the things. So there's some things in here that are put together really well. But man, like even just you talking about all these scenes, I'm getting tired. It's so exhausting. I mean, we there's even so talked many things. about, I, there's a point where they have to, so one of the planes, I keep calling it plane. Shuttles. <laughs> Shuttle. Uh, one of the shuttles crashes, right? And a couple people die. Owen Wilson. Right, some guy that like has two lines in the movie, and we're just like that guy's a goner. Right, sure. Yeah, he's definitely not making it right. Um, but they they just keep like just it always just feels like they're adding an action scene, like mm-hmm. dad action scene, because here they're driving the little thing. Oh yeah, they gotta go then, do that. I do, and I I swear to God, I don't know if it's it just feels like an Affleck ad lib. I can't prove it, but like he just they get into this gully, they're driving the little drill back. Him and Peter Stormer and Michael Clark Duncan are survivors of the crash. And he's like, "Look, we just run into the Grand Canyon on the uh, asteroid." It's just like, <laughs> yeah, this is the stupidest movie ever. Of course it is. And it's not enough that they have to jump over the asteroid Grand Canyon. You have to also like have a problem with the boosters so they mm-hmm. can't go down. So the Pierre Starman has to go, and he has a great line mm-hmm. where he goes, "I'm the only certified astronaut here, and I'm going to save your American life." It's all good stuff mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the comedic value. But, like, what the hell? Now we've got a guy flying on the outside of this thing. Like, it's just Unrelenting. one thing after another. And that is, and, and I think the, the biggest problem with this is secondary protocol. Uh, uh, a sequence that's so unnecessary for this. Like, okay, any <laughs> movie that adds another antagonist. So we've got the meteor, we've got the everything exploding. That's enough. It's <laughs> plenty. We don't need a secondary protocol where we're going to just detonate the nuclear bombs right now, right where we're standing. Like they don't want to lose the ability to, to be able to remote detonate. So Keith David gets a call from the president, and they're like, we're initiate. They're not going to do it themselves, so we're going to have William Fickner, who, uh, yeah, he's got a gun on the... <laughs> and he's so good at playing a slimy dude. I like William Fickner. He's good in everything. He's pretty good in this, too. Yeah. Uh, he's got a that place where there's a gun, so he can be in charge of, like, secondary protocol where they have to set the thing off, and Bruce Willis and Will Patton have to try to... And we got a Stop nuclear bomb scene. countdown in yeah. this movie. We literally have it, and I Ugh. do like the cut where it's uh, Max and uh, Max. I always for Ken Campbell, I think is his name. He's like the the Santa Claus in Home Alone. You know, what I'm talking about. Uh, they like go ride down the elevator and they see the standoff going on with the gun. They're just like, "What did we miss?" Mm-hmm. It's so stupid, but it is like good uh, semi delivery, right? But yeah, we have to have a cut countdown where we literally have to do a red or blue wire cut. <laughs> With two seconds to go, or else this bomb's going to go off. Uh-huh. And we can't have the bomb go off, uh, not below 800 feet, because otherwise it's going to... Jason Isaacs has a pretty good scene where he's like, put a firecracker in your hand. If you're trying to open wide, what's going to happen? You're going to burn your hand. Well, if you wrap your hand around that same firecracker, you're going to have some of your wife opening your ketchup bottles. For Yikes! <laughs> so you want to get it down so it can split it off. And this is a scenario, I guess, that is... The, uh, is I I've, I remember back then, and I remember now reading about like if this is a feasible way to like take care of an asteroid, and uh, it's a mixed it's, message. It's I mean, according to the Wikipedia yeah. citations. Oh, great Wikipedia citations. I mean, it's cited stuff. Uh-huh. It's feasible, but the nuclear bomb they'd have to put in Big. would have to have eight hundred trillion terajoules of energy, yeah. and the biggest energy is the Big Ivan. Um, 
nuclear one that was tested by the Soviet Union in 1961 was only 418,000. So, I so think, we're talking 800 trillion. I think the mistake here is just like their decision to be like making the asteroid the size of Texas. Like they were just like, we gotta make it sound big so people know it's big. Yeah. Even though it doesn't really need to be that big to cause a really bad yeah, situation. Yeah, they could have made it the size of New Hampshire. Probably would have taken care of it. Yeah. Or, I don't know, Rhode something. Island probably would have done the it. The one, the comet in deep impact is like three. It's not that. It's as like big, three or eight mile. But it, it's gonna cause an e. They call it an ELE or an ELE or an extinction level event. Yeah. In this movie, they call it a global killer. How big was the asteroid that it's a killed? Comet. Oh, that should they killed the dinosaurs? Yes. Okay. God, well, you're such a dick. I thought you were going to ask about the Deep Impact Comet. No, seven mile wide. So, mm-hmm. like, they could have just done a ten mile wide one. They could have. And they're like, no. But then how are you going to have, like, multiple sequences where you're driving over a Grand Canyon? Ten miles the... is still a long ways. Yeah, that's pretty big. <laughs> and, and, and here's how you do that. You don't. You don't have that scene. You give your audience a fucking break. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... Yeah, this movie could give this could size of Texas. Shut the fuck up, Michael Bay. (laughs) Good God! I just wanted to make it sound big, you know. What a size of Texas, Mr. President. Oh, we haven't talked about Billy Bob Thornton. What a bizarre like to have Billy Bob Thornton in this movie is bizarre because he does definitely at the time too. He does not seem like he belongs, and that I mean a lot of these guys don't. Like a lot of these guys are just like this was a thing that like this is Disney. This is Touchstone. You know, before it was like everything branded under Disney, but, like, they were bringing in guys like this to kind of, like, and, and, and smart, it was like, these guys want to get paid, get pay enough money, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to get Billy Bob Thornton in this movie, I, for such, like, a, a thankless role, I mean, it is a get. It's a good get, I mean, to have him. He definitely, I, I did find, I read this, that there's a scene where he shows his, his leg in, a, like, a steel... Brace, brace, or something like that, and because that's why he couldn't be a, a mission type guy or whatever. That's why Bruce Willis wants to give him his patch or whatever. That was just Billy Bob Thornton being like, "Can I do something with my character, like anything?" Oh God, what? So he like brought the he, it was his idea to do the brace. Like that's all him. I haven't seen a lot of um, Billy Bob movies before Armageddon. Homegrown, Primary Colors. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, the Apostle. U-turn, yeah. Princess Mononaka, a gun, a car, a blonde, the winner, Sling Blade, I guess Sling I've Blade seen. Sling Blade is his big, his big, uh... That's true, in 96. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing, like, they're, they're hiring off of Sling Blade, essentially. Indecent proposal. It's Sling Blade, I mean, that's where he has his big breakout, and he's, like, this kind of, like, the star of the small movie, and, and didn't he, like, write that or direct that, too? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. Uh, something like that, he's involved with that more. Um, but yeah, to have him in this movie is like really the second build. They don't, they don't ever, like, even in the marketing, as you saw at the beginning, it was always just like Bruce Willis, Liv Tyler, Ben he dir- Affleck. He wrote and directed. Yeah. Oh, he wrote the play. And Ben Affleck is, po- is popped, is popping right now because this is just after he and Matt Damon win the screenplay Oscar for Good Will Hunting. So the fact that he's in this movie is big for Disney too. Yeah. He's, the cast is a get. He's just, he's just peaking at the right time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's the other thing I'll say. I think that uh, even you take out the extra stuff with the grandparent, the deleted scene shit. Mm, garbage, yeah. And the fact that it's ridiculous that they're having this conversation with so little time left. I mean, they, he is doing it on the side where the rest of the team is trying to like pack, pack, pack up, up and, and go. get ready to go. So yeah. I guess there's some justification in it happening. Um, it it kind of works a little bit. I think the emotional it's played emotionally, and you care enough about the. The problem is Liv Tyler has nothing to do with this movie, and I almost wish that 
like she was why couldn't she run the second team like if she's like in the business and she's gonna be like running the business wouldn't she have like a role because uh, michael bay's a huge giant sexist <laughs> and it's 1990 fucking six or whatever 1998 Maybe. i don't know like she has nothing to do once they, they leave the earth and she's just kind of in reaction shots. no watching it back like i was in love with her right she was so gorgeous and so just like just like perfect. I don't think she's bad in the movie. I think she's very charming. Uh, I don't think she's bad either, but like she doesn't need to be there. It's just, she's just she like, has nothing to do. I'm standing here, and, uh, and now the camera's spinning around me as I hear that the shuttle's going down. Yeah, it's frustrating. And uh, it's, it's her and Billy you Bob You promised Thorne. me you would bring him home. Her and Billy oh. Bob Thorne have literally nothing to do. Well, they, they do give Billy Bob the one fuck in the movie during secondary protocol. He's like, mm-hmm. this is, he yells at Keith David, this is one uh, order you shouldn't follow and you fucking know it. Which mm-hmm. is pretty good Billy Bob Thornton yelling. Mm-hmm. Give it that. Um, but yeah, they don't have much to do and it's kind of a bummer. Because yeah. they're like pretty, I like Liv Tyler and a lot of other things I too. love her, but l- watching it back now, I'm just like, whoa. I mean, and yeah, that's the animal cracker scene. Just, I mean, it's so bad. It's just like, and it just, just feels so like weepy. such a uh, leftover. Like, it just, not, not that age as well. But I do like her by it's a little I mean even the way it is like I am like you it's like are you we don't know anything about you I wish we knew more about Liv Tyler I wish she had some more agency as a character yeah the scene I like a little bit better is the very brief interaction I don't think it's written very well but like when so they draw straws to see who has to stay behind because the nuke's been damaged right and Affleck gets the short straw and he goes down like he's gonna do it but he goes down with Bruce Willis and at that point you know like oh Bruce Willis is gonna do something right and he does, like, he sabotages air thing, kicks him out, and he gets this moment where he says, like, oh, I always considered you a son, you'd be damn proud to marry my daughter. Number one, like, where is this coming from? Is this just how you've always felt, or have you just changed your mind on the ass? Yeah, so, are you just pretending to be an asshole to him? What's happening? That's, maybe that's what I'm getting, because like, that's he even says, like, when he's chasing with the gun, he's just like, oh, I didn't, he wasn't even, didn't even come near him or whatever, I was just goofing with him or something. I guess you could read it that way. And I don't like that. I will say that Bruce Willis is like engaged in this movie. This is in a period of his career where he's True. still like trying. He's actually like, I am fully like cognizant and I'm actually acting. Yeah. And I, so I mean, I don't think I think he's pretty good in the movie, really. But like, it's not great stuff. But I'll tell you who hits the scene well. My man Affleck does pretty good. He does. The, like the say the way he like kind of is yelling at him and he says I love you is actually just pretty strong acting from mm-hmm, Affleck. Mm-hmm. I think it sells the mm-hmm, scene. It's so mm-hmm. small and it, it's clunky. It's not written very well. But, like, that's the advantage of getting some pretty good people in your movie. Because mm-hmm. even, like, the, like again, the Cebu Semi, like, space dimension stuff is so stupid. But it's like, <laughs> well, it is Buscemi. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Buscemi can bring the thunder when he needs to. Mm-hmm. And Michael Clark Duncan is definitely, like, like, you definitely get a feel, like, when they got him on set, like, they knew. Like, that's why he ended up being in more of the movie. He just, yep. like, he pops, right? Like, yeah. he's got charisma. Yeah, he holds a scene. He's got presence. And you just know why, then you know why he gets into these other things, because he just feels, and it's sad that we've lost him. R.I.P. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I like all that, but, I mean, it's just so much asteroid nonsense in the last, it's so exhausting to watch. What I will say, and this is what I want to talk about, kind of, as our summer uh, Brockheimer conversation. This was a really weird shift, or an interesting shift with Brockheimer, because this was a big, a big swing, and you know they had, they rush at the finish. There was a lot, you know, it, it definitely has the Top Gun vibe, and that they're getting the military involvement, etc. But um, you know, it, Brockheimer, a lot of the movies before this are like The Rock is R-rated, Con Air is R-rated, Beverly Hills Cop is an R-rated franchise. This is like four quadrant uh, demographic. Like we're trying to get 
all sorts of audience in the seats. And it's really a transition period between what Brockheimer was doing in the 90s and what he ended up doing later. Because, like, this is what I remember. And I think we might have in our summer of Brockheimer uh, at least one more episode in us, right? Or we can talk about this more. But, like, this is, like, it's Michael Bay is hitting on this, right? His name is shooting up because we know he's a big master of action. Mm-hmm. But, like, what's weird about this is, like, Brockheimer is able to use this movie in particular as, like, like he was front and center for when, like, I remember in 2000, for example, because this was 98, Enemy of the State comes out in 98 or 99, too, which is a hit in the fall with Will Smith, big get with Will Smith kind of popping, right? And then it's, like, in the summer of, like, 2000, you have Gone in 60 Seconds, which is this Nicolas Cage car movie. And you have, like, Coyote Ugly, mm-hmm. which is this weird, like, a, a total different swing for Brockheimer. It's, like, a romantic comedy with music in it, but it's, like, saucy ladies dancing on bar, on bar tops, right? And then you have Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington. Big get getting Denzel Washington. And through all of this, it's just, like, right front and center is, like, Jerry Brockheimer production. And I remember mm-hmm. being, like, Oh, this is very, Jerry Brockheimer bringing the hits. Look at this. And it's all hitting, you know, Gone on Six Seconds is PG-13. Mm-hmm. Coyote Ugly is PG-13, and it's, like, t- enticing gr- boys with, like, here's Tyra oh, Banks here's in a movie. Here's some racy But girl. it's a romantic comedy, and it's supposed to, like, hit for the the women, too, right? Mm-hmm. And then remember the Titans is, like, going for this whole, like, high school, like, hit, you know, like, high school football, like, vibe. It's just this weird moment where the Brockheimer brand is just exploding Shifts. to the point where... And the, the funny thing is, is like Gone in 60 Seconds is not a big hit, but it's like it does enough despite having horrible reviews. Coyote Ugly, same thing. Remember the Titans is a big hit. That's, I mean, Denzel Washington always opens a movie, right? And then it's like to go from this and then Michael Bay going from this to 2001 or whatever, and Pearl Harbor comes along. <laughs> and here's your movie where everybody's thinking about Titanic, yeah. right? The whole thing is modeled after Titanic. Yep. And Michael Bay is just like, he can do action. We know we can nail the oh, Pearl Harbor attack. We were all so excited to go see that. And it's just, I don't, we're talking about it now because we're not going to, I can't, we No, can't I watch refuse to watch it again. Yeah. Um, but, and I remember being like such a, a homer for Brockheimer and Bay at this period where I was just like, even when I saw Pearl Harbor the first time in the theater, I was like, that was a pretty good movie. And then I'm just like, when you leave the theater, I was like, nah, I mean, it's not. It and it not. really is like a good, they're like, I think he does, they do some strong work with the actual attack in the middle mm-hmm, of the movie. Mm-hmm. But like the whole rest of it is so modeled after Titanic in terms of this romance. And they have this love triangle between Affleck and Josh Hartnett and Kate Beckinsale. And it just is, it's feeling like it's too much of a reach in terms of like, we're getting the military involvement. We have the premiere on the, uh, on the, on a battleship in Pearl Harbor, in Hawaii, all of it just begins to feel very artificial, right? And, I mean, we're talking about bad reviews in these movies. I mean, Pearl Harbor gets just savage reviews, right? And it doesn't make as much money. And then all of a sudden, like, in that moment, it felt like the Brockheimer brand was, like, almost like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, and same with Michael Bay. I mean, at that point, Michael Bay goes on to do Transformers away from Jerry Brockheimer. He gets Spielberg to somehow put his name on those mm-hmm. lordly awful uh, Transformers movies, which I mean, maybe we'll do that first one at some point. But um, And then Jerry Brockheimer rebrands himself and does Pirates of the Caribbean, and then that's yeah. the whole... And then Jesus he's a franchise guy. Mm-hmm. And then it's just about, like, 
doing doing Pirates of the Caribbean or things that will spawn a franchise like Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates, Bad Boys 2, National Treasure. Oh, I forget that they do Bad Boys 2 together. That's right. When did Bad Boys 2 come out? Uh, 2003, same year as Pirates. So that that is both Michael Bay and Jerry Brockheimer kind of just being like, okay, forget the forget the uh, attempt to do mainstream. We're going to go back to our roots to do Bad Boys 2, which is, you know, we've talked about Bad Boys 2 on this podcast, is uh, talk about uh, an assault. That movie is one of the worst big movies ever made, I think. But uh, people like it for some reason. I don't know. And, but yeah, after that, it, it, it's just it's, he's it's all about franchise for Brock. I mean, National Tre- even with his, his guy Nicholas Cage, it's like we're gonna try to make National Treasure into a thing. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, Pirates is arguably his biggest hit. It's mm-hmm. the one that is the most successful of Brockheimer's uh, his career. And I mean, number one, it's a good movie, and I think that helps. But uh, but then it's just like this attempt to basically either recreate Pirates, which I think he's tried with like Prince of Persia and uh, some other titles. And uh, yeah, it's just a uh, Armageddon is what starts this whole transition. Oh, and then he gets into like TV producing. Well, like, he, CSI. he's big on CSI. He makes a ton of money on Fucking CSI. Fucking Amazing Race. It is one of the most, I mean, he's one of the more prolific uh, I, I producers. Mean, and one of the only name, I mean, I think nowadays people know. Jason Bloom for like the horror movies, they know him as a producer, right? But like people know directors, people don't know producers, but people still kind of know the Brockheimer. But it, it does feel like he's kind of taken a step back in terms of like being front and center in a lot of this yeah. stuff now. Uh, maybe because Pirates is kind of flamed out, and you know he he was involved in that Bad Boys Three, but it was I mean it wasn't like Jerry Brockheimer production like it was. This was the he period. was an executive producer on my show Lucifer, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's an executive producer. Weird. Pro- if you look at this, I mean, he's an executive producer on a thousand different shows. It's just insane. Um, but, I mean, 98, this is it. This is Armage- Armageddon is what is the, the peak and, like, the start of the peak, essentially. That's this to Pirates of the Caribbean, right? The, mm-hmm. That is, And that's when CSI starts. That's when all mm-hmm. this is going on. This is never, it's never more the year of or summer of Brockheimer than it is during this period. Totally. And that is fascinating to me. It's always been very fascinating, but I don't know if I like, it's weird. I used to love this movie and there was a point just in my life where I, I didn't anymore. I feel like you've been dogging on this movie since I've known you. Yeah. And it's been, it's we're like, been, I'll be like, I like that movie. And you're like, that movie is dog shit. Yeah. And, and I, we watched it together. I think when we were in college, did we, you we, know, you say that, but there, there's oh, no we way I we had we enough did. time to watch all the movies you say we did. We watched a lot of movies around then because you were, like, you were interested in, like, because you had so a I was trying to impress you, so I was like, no, yeah, let's watch movies. Is that what you were doing? Oh, for sure. You didn't care about any of the movies? No, I enjoyed the movies, but I was definitely, like, you were into movies, so then I w- was into movies. And now you're, all these years later, you're just like, yeah, I guess if you want to do a podcast. I, I guess, guess if you want to do a movie, movie podcast, then well, that's what we're going to do. 20 years later, here we are. movies. I don't know when it was a transition because it, I, I I know that like you could, I can't call it peer pressure because it was poorly received at the beginning. I was mad at Roger Ebert because I remember reading his reviews. I'm being like, come on, like, and I think even Siskel like gave it a review that was positive. He gave it a thumbs up. He did. Um, but I mean, Roger Ebert said it was the worst movie of the year. And then the thing is though is like I read that review now and like I. I, you I agree like it with the criticism. I like it better than Roger Ebert does, but like he's absolutely right about what he's saying. Um, but I don't know when the transition is. Maybe it's just like being fourteen and you, you know, you don't know a lot of movies, and this is like the most movie, I guess. The most movie. It's That's like the true. most movie, right? It's just giving you everything. It is doing that, other yeah. than like a real like the 
developed female characters, but yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah. it's giving you the everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is something that transitions until you... And I think, like, I don't know, as you get older, I don't think your body and your mind and your brain and your eyes can handle the kind of, like, visual input. noise... It's a lot of input. ...that is in this... We were listening to the Ebert and Roper... Well, I say Richard Roper, because he was the one who did it after Siskel, uh, Gene Siskel died. But Siskel, they do make a comment about, like, if you go to see this in a multiplex, and I remember this. I remember this summer, because I go to every movie... Like, you don't want to be in the theater next to Armageddon, because all you'll hear is explosions in Armageddon. You won't be able to hear your own movie. And yeah. that is true. I remember doing that, because I would see another movie later in the summer, and I was just like, a noisy movie going on. Yeah, you could there. feel it shaking and vibrating next door. I don't know. I just, to me, I mean, it goes back to what we've been talking about, like, seeing Black Widow this year. I was like, I really like Black Widow for, like, two-thirds of it. And then it became, like, this noisy action scene. I'm like, I don't care about this mm-hmm. as much. Like, I'm just, I'm a different film-goer now, I you guess. You are more mature now. And... Well, that being said, like, I love the last few of those Mission Impossible movies. But then again, it's like, those movies are about just like, let's keep the camera here and just show that Tom Cruise is insane. And then you just see him doing something insane. There's no cutting. Mm-hmm. And that's impressive. Same with, like, I like, I prefer fight sequence work. I'd see that, like, someone's actually doing something. Not like you sat, like you took, like you moved one arm movement. And you're like, okay, we're going to cut so you don't actually. Yeah, I want to say that you've practiced and you've mastered a fight scene. I want to see, yeah. I, I Make mean, it look real to me. But it's weird because I my love of like Jackie Chan started like around because Rush Hour is ninety eight too, like that is all around the same time where you just go you start to appreciate like man Jackie Chan's amazing you can do all this stuff in camera mm-hmm. so how do you love seeing Jackie Chan in Rush Hour the same year and all and think like God he's amazing look at all the stuff he can do in one take and then you watch a movie like Armageddon which has a million takes like a million shots and be like yeah I like that movie too. It just doesn't, it doesn't jive in my brain very well. They're different categories. I guess. I don't know. It's such a fascinating one. I can talk about Armageddon. We, we barely even, like, we, the things that we didn't talk about this movie right now is uh, enormous. It's because this movie is jam-packed. You're getting your money's worth, and you're going to leave needing a nap. It's the most movie. You needed two nights to watch it. Then again, you need two nights to watch a lot of movies. Fuck you. But yes, it's true. <laughs> but I actually felt, t- like, I felt like, the movie made me tired. Do you like, I mean, I think when we started watching this, it felt like you thought you thought this movie was still really good. Do you feel that way now? You know, it's this whole tough thing that we have where it's like, is it nostalgia? Yeah. Or is it, I actually enjoy it. Is it sad at the end for you? No, it was not sad for me this time at all. Yeah. It doesn't, like, not, no tears whatsoever. I could give a fuck. Whereas, like, I don't know, <laughs> Toy Story 2, like, Still really sad during Jesse's song. Like, I don't know. Like, some of the uh, stuff just I, works I forever I can cry still. over a fucking bit on America's Got Talent. Like, I, it, the crying is not difficult for me now yeah. since having kids. Yeah, I didn't you're just, just, just... You're numb to it because you've seen it, I guess. But. I guess, and I was just like, nah, whatever. I don't know, but some things can stand the test of time where it's still sad. I mean, I think about, like, wow, that's a different kind of movie, obviously. I just think about, like, Schindler's List and just balling Jesus through the last ten Christ. minutes. Of, yeah, you can't compare. It's that, hard Tyler. to compare that, right? But like, I don't know. Like, there's there are things that are still like inherently like emotional. I think Toy Story too, because that's I compare that one because it's like around the same time, just a couple years off, ninety nine, and it's in the middle of the movie where you're not really expecting this emotional wall, but it's like even if you watch it now, it's like oh my god, just getting left. It's still emotional. The Toy Stop Story. Stop talking. Two, yeah, okay. you're getting sad, aren't you? Stop it. Or even like the end of Toy Story 3? Oh. Toy Story 2 to me is still like the more emotional. Toy Story 2 is so good. It's so good. 
Anyway, so <laughs> that's our wrap on Armageddon. Oh, yeah, we're still talking about Armageddon. That's right. Did I like it? I like it for what it was back then. then. Is it a movie that you could... Am I going to ever need to watch that movie again? Probably in about 10 years, I'll be like, God, you know what? We should watch Armageddon. That movie's so good. Maybe if you're just like, you finally stopped, you know, like, I got to get off caffeine. Like, I just can't. It's not good for my body anymore. But you're like, just like, I need a jolt or something. Oh, my God. I just, you're so weird. That, give me some of that Armageddon. Give me those opening titles. Let me think about Charlton Heston and the NRA and then like a blowing up screen of letters blowing up as the earth gets engulfed by fire. See, when I think about the movie, there's a lot of things I like about it. Yeah, there are things I like about it, too. But then when I experience the movie... That's what I'm fascinated about, because, mm-hmm. like, it played. That's the thing I want to, like, reiterate. It not only worked for us as teenagers, but it worked for general audiences, because people were bawling in that theater. Like, a whole theater of people were I bawling. Know. It worked. It played. People liked it. It did. The people, the masses liked it. But yep. then again, the masses like Titanic, a movie that I have always and 100% been completely ambivalent about. Yeah. Which is very weird. We'll yeah. maybe do that movie at some point. But. Oh, it's a commitment. It is. All right, guys. Well, that has been our episode of Armageddon. We could go on for hours. We could like the movie did. <laughs> it does go on. It's two and a half hours long. Movie. Well, this podcast is pushing two hours. I so. would recommend if you, uh, maybe if you don't want to watch all of Armageddon, just go on YouTube and find the Aflac yeah. uh, commentary. Yeah. He's not part of the whole commentary. He kind of goes in and out. Yeah. He's actually pretty thoughtful on it. He does like a lot of aspects of it, but man, when he dogs on it, it's really funny. Yeah. This is like Aflac era of like Project Greenlight. Uh, like he's just, it's funny Aflac, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'd recommend that. And did you like the movie? Did I like it? No, I don't. I don't think I like it anymore. Do so you still think it sucks? I like the first half enough, and then I, I don't. I, I get very. I feel. I feel violated after watching the second half. I just feel violated after watching it. Yeah, I want it to be about ninety minutes long, <laughs> yeah. and I want like like ten percent of the cutting. If they told the story in twenty twenty one, it would be like two se- two ten episode seasons on Netflix. It would be so, I mean, it would have to be, like, they wouldn't even, budget-wise, they'd be like, we need to get more content out of this if you're going to have this much going on in a movie. Oh, I know. So. To set up all the different scenes that they had, had to, I mean, I feel like they spent more than $100 they're saying they spent. That's the thing, and Michael Bay talks about how fat, he he kind of doesn't, that's the, oh, I forgot to mention this, Michael Bay has gone out and said that he doesn't really like how the last half of the movie is cut. Or like the last act, because uh-huh. he, he was rushed. They had to meet a meet a deadline, and he just didn't like how it came together. And I was just like, how? Like it's cut exactly like the rest of the fucking movie. I don't know. Just like he wanted like ten more scenes on the fucking. Asteroid. I, I don't know what that means exactly. He just says if he had do over, he would re-edit the last half hour. No, sir. We do not trust you. <laughs> we don't. We don't trust you. We do not. Um, but yeah, no, I find that fascinating that that even he's just like I don't know. He needs work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could all say that about any work that you finish. It could always be better. I don't know. I feel like M. Night Shyamalan makes movies, and at the end of it, he goes to the theater, and he sees it, and credits roll, he goes, nailed it. He's like, hashtag no regrets. <laughs> I feel like he doesn't doesn't regret anything, which I appreciate about him. I, I love that he goes for broke, and he's just like, I don't care. Fuck it. Do you like it? I don't care. I, I made it for so little. <laughs> the fact that you're here already means I turned to profit, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of Armageddon from 1998. Yeah.
the summer of Brockheimer. Might we might have one more in us. We'll see. I'm not to be determined. I'm not. We still haven't decided if we're going to do one and which one we'll do. That's all right. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. We will talk at you another movie. None of us want to pay taxes again, like what? ever. What are you talking about? That's what they say when they want their demands. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why I say that? Huh. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs>